Our scripture reading today comes from the gospel according to Luke, and I invite you to stand in body or in spirit in honor of the reading of the gospel. Hear these words from Luke chapter 24. I invite you to read along with me in your Bibles or in your bulletin. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in and stayed with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. You may be seated. Well, thank you once again to the choir for beautiful music to Kathy and Don and to Ken on the flute. I'm so grateful. Luke loves a good story. Matthew likes to teach. John loves, uh, John loves love, uh, but Mark, and Mark loves just getting to the point. <laughs> Some of you are similar. And Luke loves a really good story, especially a story that you can't disagree with. Let me give you an example. After Jesus shares the greatest commandment, love God and love neighbor, the lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? You remember how Jesus responds? Let me tell you a story about a man who was left for dead on the side of the road and the one who helped him. Somebody in a crowd one day yelled at Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide our inheritance and give me what's mine. 
And Jesus said, well, let me actually tell you a story about a man who loved money so much that he kept it all himself, and then he died, and he had nothing to show for it. Some teachers gathered together, and they muttered to one another, this Jesus, he eats and shares his time with sinners and tax collectors. You know what Jesus said to him? Anybody? Let me tell you a story about the extent to which I will go to be with those who need care. A story about a father who lost a son, but found him again. Throughout Luke, and in the midst of hard discussions and questions and even criticism, Luke's Jesus replies with stories because it's hard to disagree with a story. And in chapter 24, Luke tells a really good story. And I realize for those of you who need pictures, uh, the second to last window right here is the Walk to Emmaus picture. Uh, if, if you haven't seen that, I forget sometimes that the whole gospel is surrounding us in this sanctuary, in the windows. And so walk to Emmaus. If you get a chance today, take a look. The Emmaus story is only in Luke. The women have just discovered the empty tomb. And that very day, two of the disciples, they're on their way to a small village and they're talking about the things that have been going on. And as these two are walking and talking... Luke says, Jesus draws near to them. I love that because the Greek verb there in Gidzo, it's the same verb that Jesus uses when talking about the kingdom. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is approaching. The kingdom has drawn near. And so Jesus draws near. And I love that Jesus does it on a journey in between a here and a there, an A and a B. I don't know about you, but sometimes I find that to be the case in my life, that Jesus really draws near to me on the road, on a journey, on the way. Not always when I'm sitting and waiting, but when I'm moving, when I'm en route. And as Jesus draws near to them on their journey, these two disciples, they don't recognize him, which is kind of in line with other resurrection appearances. In John, Mary thinks Jesus is what? The gardener until he calls her by name. When Jesus later appears to the disciples, he has to show them his scars before they ultimately get it. And so Jesus remains a stranger to them, and he strikes up a conversation. What's up? What are y'all talking about? Luke says they're still, and their countenance is sad. Of course they're sad. They're still at the ground zero of grief. Those first days after tragedy where nothing feels like it will ever be whole again, those first days after death when it feels like the entire world has to shut down, but it doesn't. C.S. Lewis describes the feeling this way, there is a sort of invisible blanket between the world and me. And the stranger asks, what are y'all talking about? And Cleopas, one of the, the two disciples, says to this sudden stranger, you gotta be kidding me. That's my translation, by the way. Are you got to be kidding me. Are you the only pilgrim in Jerusalem that is out of the loop? You don't know? Apparently, everybody in and around the city knows what has just happened. Everybody has been impacted by the tragedy in some way. But this stranger doesn't seem to know. And the stranger replies, what happened? What things? And the two proceed to tell the story as they've known it up to now. Cleopas begins, Jesus of Nazareth was a prophet who did so many great things and said so many wonderful words. Our religious leaders betrayed him and they made sure that the occupiers crucified him, which makes us deeply sad because he was our friend, but also because we had hoped he would be the one to change everything. 
Alas, we're still under Roman rule. Israel has not been redeemed. Everything's the same. We expected too much, and God did not deliver. These guys are not only hurt and grieving over the loss of a friend, they're grieving over shattered expectations. They threw their whole lives in the direction of this teacher and prophet for years. Their primary role in life became not a laborer, not a father, son, brother, but a disciple. And now it's over. Life deals out the same thing to all of us, I think. At some point in life, we experience not only the death of a loved one, but also the death of the expectations, the death of a role. Pastor Shannon Michael Pater says that the scripture bids us to look deeply at ourselves. The road leading away from Jerusalem is ours. The soles of our shoes know the brokenhearted steps of this road. And so the other disciple chimes in, yeah, that's sad, but that's not the half of it. Some women in our group, they told us something they discovered. See, they went to his tomb and his body was gone. And they told us they'd seen some kind of vision of angels or something who told them that Jesus was alive. Others of our group went to see for themselves. They ran there and the women were right, at least about the body. I don't know about the angels, seems unlikely, but the body was gone. And that's when the stranger interrupts the story. And Eugene Peterson translates the interruption like this. Are you guys thick-headed? Are your hearts a little slow? Don't you see that all of this is working towards something? Did you not know that God is in charge? Don't you see that the Christ's coronation occurred with a crown of thorns and the suffering on a cross? And that's when the stranger begins teaching. He goes through Moses and the prophets and the law and educates these two on, on what the suffering, death, and empty tomb might mean in relationship with the scriptures. I mean, for a second, can you picture, can you picture that moment? I imagine that these two disciples are struggling to kind of comprehend what's going on. They're trying to keep up. But I also imagine that they're beginning to recognize the familiarity of the position in which they find themselves, that of students to a teacher. I imagine in their head and their hearts, whether consciously or unconsciously, I imagine they start to think and to feel things. I imagine in their mind they're thinking, hold on, we've, we've been here before. Something about this feels familiar. I know we're still walking next to a stranger, but I feel like I'm sitting at the feet of a teacher. And as the two disciples close in on their destination, the stranger doesn't slow down. And he starts to say goodbye, but they extend the invitation. Wait, stay with us. It's getting late. You don't want to be out on the road after dark. Plus, we got to keep this conversation going. So come eat with us. And the stranger agrees. And the three enter the establishment and they find a table. Bread and wine are served. You have an image, by the way, on the front of your bulletin of Caravaggio's, I think it's second interpretation on the front of your bulletins of this scene. Breaking bread and eating around a table. And before they eat, the stranger takes the bread, offers a blessing, breaks the bread and hands it to them. And time stops. I imagine the two glance at each other. Did he just, did he just bless the bread? Like, wait, and what's, on, what's that on his hands? Are those scars? Is it, is it possible? And I imagine both are instantly recounting in their minds the whole walk. Thinking back at everything that was said, every moment of teaching, every familiar feeling, every hint, that this stranger might just be 
and then they know. They know who sits at their table. This stranger is Jesus. And as soon as that moment comes, it leaves just as quickly, he's gone. And they look at each other. Cleopas says, I knew I felt something on the road, but I I didn't think it was real. And though the sun has set on that day, they get up and they run. They sprint back to Jerusalem in the dark. And they find the 11 disciples and others, and they tell them what has just taken place. And they can't honestly believe it themselves, but they say it anyway. They tell them the story. And I love that this whole incredible reveal at the end of the story almost doesn't happen. There's a moment in this story, we just, we just talked about it, when they're about to part ways after the walk and the stranger is moving like he's gonna keep on the road without him. When these two disciples might just let that stranger go, that would be it. Three would go back to two and there would be no breaking of bread, the end, but it's not. And they invite the stranger in. They ask him to join for a meal. And one of my favorite pastors, Molly Marshall, says of this moment, that invitation of the traveling companions to the stranger becomes the doorway to grace. I love that. I imagine for these two, this story becomes one of those stories that shapes the rest of their lives. Maybe later down the road, they'll be at a work retreat or some gathering where they got to introduce themselves and they say, tell us your name, you know, how many kids you got, da, 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 and tell us a story that shaped your life. And they'll always have a story to tell about a moment in time when an invitation to a stranger revealed the risen Christ. I wonder what living through that experience would do to a person. Seriously. Like, I wonder what that story, living that story might cause within you or within me. I wonder what else these two disciples shared with the others. I wonder if because of that experience, that story from start to finish, I wonder if they told everybody else, you guys, we got to keep our eyes open. (laughs) I wonder if they told everybody, hey guys, I don't, Jesus is around. Jesus was there. And we didn't even think to look. We didn't know for hours that he was right there beside us. And for some reason, we just didn't recognize him. He was just a stranger on the road. I don't want that to happen again. (laughs) You guys, we have to take care in how we treat a stranger because it could be Jesus. And I imagine from that day on, they treated every stranger as if he or she could be, as if he or she might be Jesus the Christ. Of course, The treating of the stranger, the treatment of the stranger is anything but new. After all, the importance of hospitality and invitation to the stranger was written into the ancient law of Moses. Leviticus 19, the foreigner, the alien, the stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you. You shall love the stranger as yourself because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You've got to love strangers because you started there. The importance of the stranger in the Hebrew understanding is even older than that. In the most ancient of stories in Genesis, Abraham is sitting at his tent and three strangers walk up to him. And he notices something about them. So he gets up and he rushes to meet them. He bows, he brings water, he washes their feet, he gives them place to rest. He and Sarah, they get out the spread and he waits on them while they eat because after all, these strangers have something holy about them. They're different, they're godly and Abraham knows it. But Luke probably knows this ancient story 
And in the Emmaus story, he kind of flips the narrative. This is different from Abraham because in Genesis, Abraham knows these specific strangers are God or at least messengers of God. But for the two disciples on the road to Emmaus from here on out and for Luke, any stranger could be God. That's exactly what Jesus is trying to get to in Matthew 25. When judgment comes, he says, and the Christ is on the throne, everybody, all nations, every person who's ever lived, everybody's going to stand there, and the shepherd will separate the sheep from the goats. The sheep will go to the right, the goats to the left, and the king will say to the sheep, you may enter the kingdom. And here's why. Because I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me water. I was homeless, and you found me a room. I was shivering, and you shared your jacket with me. I was sick, and you came to see how I was doing. I was in prison, and you wrote me letters. You came to visit. And the sheep will say, what do you mean? We never saw you hungry or thirsty. We saw a lot of other people. We didn't see you hungry. What are you talking about? And the king, the Christ, will say, listen to me on this one. Whenever you, do, whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, hungry or thirsty, whenever you cared for the stranger, that was me. You did it to me. Reminds me of the story of the chaplain in the middle of a battle who at the risk of his life, he crawls out yards and yards into a battle zone where there's a wounded soldier, there's this kid who's been hurt and he goes out to minister to him and the injured kid, the injured soldier says, but chaplain, what are you doing out here? I don't belong to your church. No, son, the chaplain says, but you belong to my Lord, to my Christ. But what are the goats? To them, to the goats, he'll say, get out. You're good for nothing. You know why? Because I was hungry and you didn't give me any food. I was thirsty and you passed me by. I was homeless. You didn't give me the time of day. I was shivering and you let me shiver. I was sick and in prison And you never visited. You never called. And the goats will say, when, master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry or thirsty? And the king will answer, you failed because every single stranger that you passed by was hungry and thirsty and shivering and alone. That was me. I was that stranger. It turns out, friends, that our care for the stranger has eternal consequences. It also seems that Jesus might just be a stranger we encounter, and it turns out that he might be every stranger we encounter. So we should probably be watchful, mindful, on the lookout. That's one of the purposes of this space, isn't it? This space that we prayed over and re-consecrated today. We consecrated it for many things, including that everybody might be invited to worship and Invited to the table by the power of your Holy Spirit, we said, consecrate this house. Bless us and sanctify what we do here, that this may be holy for us and a house of prayer for all people. The hymn we're going to sing in a moment, it prays and sings more specifically, let us build a house where hands will reach beyond the wooden stone to heal and strengthen, serve and teach and live the word they've known here, the outcast and the stranger Bear the image of God's face. This 
space exists for many purposes, and one of those is to remind us that God is in the stranger, and God is the stranger. And maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but at some point, it is my hope, and maybe it's your hope, that compassion for the stranger might just become second nature to me and to you. I've got one more thing, and then we'll close. Writer uh, Kathleen Norris spent some time at a Benedictine monastery, and she writes of the importance uh, to those monks of hospitality and the welcoming of the stranger in the Benedictine way. She says, like most serious and rewarding human endeavors, Benedictine hospitality is is a process, it's a journey, and it takes time for people to figure out how best to do it. As with so many other aspects of monastic formation, it is the elderly who provide the models. Not long ago, she writes, I heard a student, one of our novices, speak of a nun with Alzheimer's in her community who every day insists on being placed in her wheelchair at the entrance to the monastery's nursing home wing so that she can greet everybody who comes in. And she is no longer certain of what she is welcoming people to. But welcoming the stranger is so deeply ingrained in her that it has become her whole life. And Nora says that somewhere deep inside this woman, something has taken hold. And perhaps a belief to, to reject the world is to reject other people, and to reject other people is to reject Christ himself. Somewhere deep inside is the belief that Christ might just be the next person who walks past So she welcomes them in. And I'm betting for someone as welcoming as this woman, such a thing took root because at some point in the distant past, she was the stranger too. And someone welcomed her. At some point, we have all been in those shoes, alone and searching for something. And someone has welcomed us. And sure, Such a welcome might only make a little difference, but sometimes that little difference makes all the difference. Let us pray. God of grace and mercy, guide us. Guide our steps as we celebrate the resurrection, but as we continue to follow your lead. God, may we love and care for the stranger, and may the stranger who resides with us, may they be a citizen among us. For God, we have all been strangers at one point or another. Guide us in your grace, O God. Amen.